message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Open with me at Matthew 20 today, please. I want to read a familiar passage of Scripture. And um, I was reading this Scripture a few weeks ago, and I was actually preaching in a church, and I got to a certain verse, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get past that verse. And I saw something in the verse I'd never seen before. And um, I'm not going to dwell too much on that today, but I am going to speak about where it led me. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to read the Bible and uh, even to have that habit, as it were, of being in God's Word. Because no matter how many times you've read a particular piece of Scripture, there is a depth to Scripture, there's a depth to the Word of God that is unbelievable. God is able to take a familiar passage of Scripture and speak to you. And when God speaks to you, things are never the same again, because there's a power in the Word of God to enable you to see something in a different light. And that's what I want to speak about this morning. So... Let's just begin to read. We're going to read from uh, Matthew 20, and this is a familiar parable about the laborers in the vineyard. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. And again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And at about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? Now that was the verse that really spoke to me. We'll come back to that verse uh, later on. Well, they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius, that was a day's wage. And when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is mine? Or is your eye envious or evil because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. We uh, read about disputes all the time, of course, on the news and the television. There's always some sort of labor dispute going on somewhere. Uh, But never in this world is there ever a dispute about an employer being too generous. I have never heard a dispute about laborers protesting that they're getting too much money. But yet, when Jesus tells this story, he begins by saying, The kingdom of God is like this. Do you see that the kingdom of God is so far beyond what we really have understood or see as normal? 
In the kingdom of God, Jesus was saying, the king always overpays. And if you forget everything else I say this morning, remember that. The king always overpays because he gives on the basis of who he is, not on the basis of what we deserve. I'll say that again, because the church continues to get that wrong. The king gives on the basis of who he is, not on the basis of what we deserve. I'm going to see this from Scripture this morning. When it comes to the generosity of God, we keep making it about us and what we deserve. But from heaven's perspective, salvation has never been about what we deserve or our worthiness to deserve. It's always been about his willingness to give. It's always been about him. Here's the only scripture I'm going to put up before you this morning. And we'll put this one up. This is 2 Timothy. I mentioned this this morning already. Chapter 1, 9 and 10. It says this. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I just underlined those little words. Uh, well, not because of anything we have done. Seven little words which sum up the gospel. Uh, God relates to us, but not because of anything we have done or haven't done. And this is the whole challenge that the gospel places before us. Uh, it asks us, really, how are you living? What is your name? Who do you say you are? How do you see yourself? In what light do you see yourself? And I believe that how we see ourselves depends on what light we look by. And I want to tell you that the gospel really is the light of heaven. The gospel is the explanation, the proclamation, the revelation of how God sees people, how God sees this earth. And he sees from an eternal perspective. He sees through what he has already done even before the beginning of the world. How do you see yourself? Do you only see your life through what you have done, through your self-life? Or do you see, believer, that your life is holy before God, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, given to us in Christ before the beginning of time. Now, that ability to see, uh, the Bible calls faith. The ability to see, the ability to believe, to receive, to understand, to perceive how God sees. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ the original translation says. In other words, it comes by the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel opens men and women's eyes to see as God sees. You see, you can see yourself in different types of light. You know, if we turned off all the lights and in the dark, really, you wouldn't really see yourself. You wouldn't really be able to identify anybody else. But it takes light to be able to see by. The gospel is the light that men and women are to see by. And I want to show you, it is a heavenly light. When you see yourself through God's eyes, when you see through eternity what God has done, you cannot see yourself the same way. So I want to speak a little bit about that this morning. I want to speak about that really because I can hardly take it in myself. I just find an amazing thing happening. The more I receive the gospel, the more I receive this amazing truth about how God sees me in Christ, that he sees my needs are met, that he sees my sins are forgiven, that he sees me as blameless before him. I cannot take this in with my natural mind, but something is happening. The more that truth is proclaimed to me, I find that I am rising into it. 
I find that my understanding and my acceptance is rising. I am rising to be the person God declares me to be by the blood of Jesus. Not who my family have said I am, not what my record has said, but who God has declared me to be from all eternity. And that's the power of the prophetic word. We'll come back to that. And we looked, in fact, on Wednesday night about uh, the power of prophecy of God speaking through people to call people into his purpose and his grace for their lives. You know, we looked at Mary, Elizabeth, Zacharias, people who, when God spoke, he called them into an eternal purpose, something that he purposed for them. And when they heard it, it was so far beyond what they'd ever imagined that they could scarce take it in. In fact, he had to help them to take it in. You are helping me take in who he says I am. And I trust that by the proclamation of this word, this word is helping you take in who God says you are. Now, you need to grow in that, to rise in that. That's a process. Praise God. I believe each Sunday as we proclaim the gospel, this almost too good to be true news, that the power of the gospel is to rise people up into who God declares them to be. That people come into the light. The gospel calls people out of darkness, out of ignorance, and into light. It has the power to do that. It's doing that in our lives, and it'll do that in any person's life. Now, that's a bit of a process. Um, remember when the Lord spoke to Samuel three times? He called him by name, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. You know, the Lord is speaking the same name over us, the same name over us. He hasn't changed his mind. What you heard the day you got saved, that amazing revelation that, my God, you know, you see me that way? You, you've forgiven my sins? You've reconciled me to yourself? That's the way you see me. He hasn't changed his mind. That's still what he says to you. That's still who you are in his eyes. You may see yourself, well, that was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Surely after all my failures, he's changed his mind. He can't change his mind because he has seen you before Kronos, before time began. He declared who you were to be in Christ. And that's the way he sees us and continues to see us. And I want to and I need to keep speaking of how God sees you and I because I can feel God's pleasure when I speak, when I proclaim the gospel, you can feel God's pleasure at people beginning to see the way God sees. I mean, do we not have pleasure over our children beginning to see themselves the way we see them, beginning to rise up in confidence? Isn't it wonderful when a child becomes confident about who they are, not fearful, worried, anxious, you know? That's God's desire for us, that he would have confident children. I came to Christ because I saw a confidence in my wife I'd never experienced in 27 years of going to church. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He'll give you God's eyes. And when you see yourself as God sees you, you cannot be the same person. What light do you see yourself in? That's the question this morning. Do you see yourself in the light of God's mercy and grace given to you before the foundation of time? That's heaven's light. What light do you see yourself in this morning? Perhaps you didn't really enter into worship or feel thanksgiving in your heart this morning because you stood there seeing your life in light of all the stuff you did and said this week that wasn't of God. But the Lord sang songs of deliverance and thanksgiving over you this morning because he wasn't seeing you in that light. He wasn't seeing you in light of what you have or haven't done. He was seeing you in the light of what Christ has done. It's a different light. It's a different light to see by. And you will either remain blind to it or you will see. But the gospel still does what it does 2,000 years ago. It opens the eyes of the blind. When the gospel is preached, it opens the eyes of the blind. The people would see themselves as they've never seen themselves before. 
Now, you may be saying to me, Philip, are you saying that God doesn't see my sin? I tell you, he sees it, but he sees it where he left it. Can you remember where God put your sin? Can you remember the gospel? Can you remember him, that he put your sin and my sin on Christ on that cross? Praise God. Now, if you're a believer here today, there was a day when you accepted that. There was a day when you believed that. A day when you received that. A day when you came into that light. And all the Holy Spirit has been saying for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years is, as you received him, so walk in him. As you received him, in that light. Walk in that light. Walk in that light. Walk in the joy of your salvation. Walk in the truth that you received in that day. On that day when it was nothing about you. And not about you. When you came to the end of all your trying, all your church going, all your righteousness, walk in that day. That's called the day of your salvation. Today is the day of your salvation. Walk in that day. Walk in that eternal realm. Now here's where my struggle is. I find that there's a struggle at times in my mind between my old way of seeing me, which is through my record, my self-life, and this new way of seeing me through Christ's life. I find that hard to take in. My earthly reasoning says, come on, Phelan, uh, we both know who you really are. Your name is failed. You have 54 years of failure. 54 years of not coming up, falling short of the glory of God. 54 years of sins and failure. When it comes to God's standards, you're well named because you fail him all the time. <laughs> fail him, fail him, fail him, fail him. You know, but I find a wonderful thing has happened since I've heard the gospel, what we call the gospel of God's grace. The more I have come to see, the more I've heard, I've come to see that 54 years or 154 years or 1,054 years of failure and sin pales in comparison to the generosity of God on that cross, who on that cross exchanged my lifetime of sin for an eternity of righteousness. Now, only by the Holy Spirit can a man or woman see that. That's a gift, you know. And I thank you, that gift comes through the gospel. And that's why I'm not going to stop preaching this gospel. Because people's eyes, when their eyes open to how God sees them, you can't be the same person. You don't have to sin. You don't have to grasp. You don't have to push aside. You don't have to try and do anything. You have been placed in Christ and hidden with Christ and God. You are in eternity. You are in that heavenly realm. And from that, you can speak. And from that, you can live. And because you do, people on this earth will see the kingdom of God on the face of the earth. Let your eyes open to the light of how God sees you. This is why we preach the gospel. It's the biggest overpayment in history to be given God's righteousness through Christ. And still today, just as in this parable, nothing upsets the self-righteousness and the self-righteous like the generosity of God. The generosity of God. There are only two ways of looking at my life and yours. Only two ways of answering that question. Who are you? How do you see yourself? In what light do you look what is your name? You can either see by the flesh or you can see by the spirit. You can either see according to what you've done or haven't done or see according to what Christ has done. My earthly identity as Phelim Doherty, son of Patrick, I guess if I was Hebrew I'd be called Phelim Bar Patrick, <laughs> has for decades been my primary identity. It's been how people have related to me all of my life. That is the name they call me by, relate to me by, they relate to me by my history, the summation of my life, all the things I've ever done and never done and should have done, with the exception of one person. Because all my life, I could never get God to agree with me that I was simply flesh and blood. Why? 
because he point blank refuses to speak to me as if Christ's cross changed nothing. And God point blank refuses to speak to every person in this church as if Christ's cross changed nothing. If you've been wondering for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years why God won't engage with you as you tell him every day about what they did to you and what they didn't do to you and what you should have had by now and only if, only if. And if he's not speaking to you and not responding to that, it's because he point blank refuses to address you as if Christ's cross did nothing. He cannot speak to you as a victim because that's not who you are in Christ. Christ is not a victim. The world may look at him as a victim on the cross. He's a victor. And in Christ, you and I are not victims. We're not victims. Though this earth take everything from us, it takes nothing from us because Christ, in him, we have everything we need. Everything we need. When he speaks to me then, he speaks to me in the light of what Christ has done. And in that light, the name he gives me, graced, blessed, highly favored, Healed, set free, blameless. That name has more claim on me than a name I have only borne for 54 years. Why? Because that name was given to me from before the foundation of time. That's when the grace of God came towards us. God is not restricted to our earthly Cronus time. He speaks from eternity. He speaks from a place where all that needs to be done has been done. God has always spoken to men and women in light of his eternal purposes and grace. In light of Christ's complete work of restoration, God's always spoken that way. Right the way through the Old Testament, right the way through the New Testament, when God calls somebody, he addresses them in light of his works, not theirs. And that has always been hard to accept. For every person in the Bible, that's been hard to accept. Men and women on hearing the name God has for them, they've argued with them. And they've said, in fact, him, God, that's not me. I know me. I just can't be that person. Right from Abraham, right the way through. Remember, he said to Abraham, I have a name for you, father of many nations. That's your name. And that old man had to go through his old age, barren of children, carrying this name. Hello, what's your name? I'm father of a multitude. Really? (laughs) Yes, that's my name. Father of the multitude. And he had to take it. And he couldn't. He struggled with that name. And we know what he did when he struggled with that name. He thought he'd try and make that name. He thought he'd try in his own strength. He would make himself into this person that God said he was. And so, of course, the result was Ishmael. He slept with his slave girl, Hagar, and they produced Ishmael. Christian, every time you doubt the name God has given you, graced, and you seek to go back to religion, back to self-effort, to earn the blessing of God, all you will produce is Ishmael. And I want to tell you this morning that Ishmael, that Ishmael will never find peace in this life. That Ishmael will fight with everything and everybody around it to try and survive. I felt this very strongly as I was preparing this message, so I feel it's for people here this morning. Just turn to Genesis chapter 16, verse 12. I want to show you a description of what the Lord said, I think it was to, to Ishmael's mother, about the sort of person he'd be. And Ishmael really is a, is a picture of the flesh. It's a picture of trying to produce a life for yourself out of your own effort. Genesis 16, verse 12. Of Ishmael, the Lord said this. 
he will be a wild donkey of a man. It's been from Derry, actually, the Lord. He'll be a wild man. He will be against everyone, and everyone will be against him. He will live in conflict with all his relatives. That's for someone here today. Believer, you are not Ishmael. You are the child of the promise. His name is Isaac. Laughter. God laughs at his enemies. Why do you live like Ishmael? Fighting to make room for yourself. Answer, because you see yourself after the flesh, not after the spirit. You know, if God never appeared to answer another prayer for you for the rest of your life, he's already given you in Christ more than you'll ever need to give thanks to him for a thousand lifetimes. But you need to see that by the Spirit. You need to see that God is with you. Some of you feel that constantly all the time your dream, your vision of yourself is fighting for survival with all around them. If a dream was birthed apart from God, you will have to raise and finish yourself what God never birthed. Your fleshly dream will have to compete with every other dream. The source of conflict in families, even in church families, is always somebody's Ishmael. Somebody is trying to promote a life, a name for themselves that God never birthed. And so you're having to do it all by yourself and be in constant conflict with everything and everyone who appears to come against your vision, your dream of yourself. But what God births in your life his eternal purpose, his dream, you do not have to struggle for or strive for. You know, the word evil in the Bible, Greek word poneros, is translated it's so many times, I believe it's over 70 times, and the translation of that word means uh, full of labor and annoyances. It means striving, hardships, full of toils, toiling and striving. This parable spoke about an evil eye. To see yourself not after the Spirit, but to see yourself simply as men see you, God says that's an evil eye. You will strive to try and be something if you don't see by the Spirit who God has made you in Christ. I'll say that again. If you don't see by the Spirit who God has made you in Christ, you'll strive all your life because you'll be living in the eyes of men. You'll be, you'll be living really as a victim of men's opinions. This week you're up because people think you're great. Next week you're down because people think you're rubbish. That's an evil way to live. That's a, that's a striving way to live. That's not how a child of God is living. You're not an Ishmael. You're a child of the covenant. Let me give you an example of that type of anxiety. Remember a king's son called Absalom. Remember this guy? King David's son, Absalom. He was the son of a king, but he was so insecure that he spent years grasping for identity. The word says that he bought himself chariots and horses and hired 50 men to run before him announcing his arrival. My mother would call that a here-I-come job. <laughs> Bible says, and you can read this in 2 Samuel 15, he got up earlier than anyone else each morning. You see, it's hard work when you're trying to promote yourself. <laughs> he got up earlier than anyone else. He stood at the gate of the city, and he told everyone who had a problem that he was in charge of this country, and if he was in charge of this country, he'd sort it out. Sounds like a politician, really, doesn't he? <laughs> he would listen to their problem, the word says, and he would commiserate with them. And I imagine he would say something like, well, you know what, this should have been sorted already. No harm to King David. He's not the man he used to be. I've traveled a bit myself. You know, I've seen a few other kingdoms and how they operate. There's so much here that could be better. There's so much here that could be done better. 
That's what Absalom was saying as he met people at the gate. Second Samuel 15 says he flattered them. He spoke to them, told them how right they were, and he went out of his way to help them. And in this way, it is said, he stole the hearts of the people. All he had to do was keep sowing little seeds of discontent into everyone he met. And eventually there was a split in the kingdom. And many people got hurt because of Absalom's Ishmael. Because he didn't see who he was. And we talked on Wednesday night about prophecy being smittle or infectious to stir up the gift of prophecy. So is discouragement. That's smittle as well. Be very careful who you're allowed to speak into your life. Ask yourself, if there's doubt or fear in your life about yourself or your place in the body, who planted that seed? Think back. Who planted that seed? These days, you won't see someone hiring 50 people to run before them, but people who are grasping for a name for themselves will tend to talk about the things they have done. They're looking for the approval of men because they cannot see by the Spirit the better name God has given them. When God told Abraham that Ishmael, the child of Abraham's flesh, was not the one with whom God was going to make a covenant, but that another child, Isaac, would be the one, his eternal purposes would be worked out through. Abraham wept. I feel so sorry for Abraham every time I read that scripture, you know. That's the way we weep over all the years and years of the way we've strived and worked and made an image for ourselves, you know. And then you come to the gospel and you realize even your best image of yourself, even the best opinion of man, is as nothing compared to who you are in Christ. But Abraham, he liked Ishmael. He loved Ishmael. And he wept over them. God promised Abraham that he would bless and look after Ishmael. But his covenant with Isaac meant that he would be with Isaac in a way that Isaac would live aware of. And knowing God is with you means you don't have to make a life for yourself. You don't have to strive. You only have to enter into the life that God has made. That's what it says about Abraham in Romans. It came to a turning point in his life where he entered into what God had done for him rather than trying to make himself right on his own. Do you remember that? Entering into that life that God has graced and purposed us for from before the beginning of time. Now, Abraham captures in one verse what it means to live in covenant relationship with God. He cried out to the Lord about Ishmael. And uh, I've read this scripture many times, but by accident during the week, I came across a version of it that really hit me between the eyes. You turn in your Bible to Genesis 17, verse 18. Here's another verse relating to Ishmael. We're talking this morning about how do you see yourself? Can you see yourself in Christ? Can you see, in fact, that the way God sees you is nothing like people see you or relate to you? And when you begin to see that, you're never the same person again. So here... Abraham calls out to God. He cries out to God about Ishmael. And in your Bible, it probably says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Is that what your Bible says? Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But here's a wonderful translation, which is from the International Standard Version, where it says that Abraham said this to God. If only Ishmael would live in constant awareness that you're always with him. If only Ishmael would live in constant awareness that you're always with him. See, Abraham knew in his heart what it was to have covenant with God. That's a beautiful description. Do you know that he's always with you? Do you know when the father stood and spoke to the elder brother in the field and him crying out all the things I never got, trapped with an evil eye, only seeing himself through his lack, the father said to him, don't you know, son, 
but you're always with me. You're always with me. Because God is not restricted to our earthly Kronos time, but speaks from eternity, a place where all that needs to be done has been done, then God has always spoken to men and women in light of his eternal purpose and grace, in light of Christ's complete work of redemption. And that's why right the way through the Bible, Old and New Testament, when God calls someone, he addresses them according in light of his works, not theirs. Think of Jesus. He got himself into trouble, no end of trouble with the religious because he refused to speak to people the way everybody else saw them. Oh, my goodness. You know, he goes into Jericho, and this is the biggest sinner in town, up the tree, and he says, you're the man I'm going to eat with this afternoon. Get down here right now. Can you see what he's saying? You're the one I have fellowship with. You're the one from all eternity that I was destined to have fellowship with. Zacchaeus, from all eternity, I was destined to have fellowship with you. Can you see the anathema that was to people who only saw Zacchaeus through the eyes of his record? Can you see our need to see people in the city through the eyes of God? To call people out as God enables us to see them and who they are and who God sees them to be. Some may not believe. Some may refuse. The Bible says many people will not get to be with Christ. They will go to a lost eternity. For they love the darkness. They have chosen that identity. They have chosen that life. And God will give them their choice. Because that's what love does. It doesn't force. Nobody's forced into the kingdom of God. Nobody, God doesn't put anybody into heaven with a shotgun. Praise God. But when you see what God has done, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want what God has given you, the name God has given you, if only people would hear? But how are they to hear if nobody... So the Bible says, if nobody preaches this gospel. What about Moses? God said to him, I have a name for you. You're my deliverer. Deliverer of my people. Go and deliver my people. And Moses says, oh, you've got the wrong man. I can't be that man. You don't understand. I can't even speak properly. You've got it wrong, God. You don't see me. You don't know me in the way I know me. Listen, you may have known you for 50, 60, 70 years. He's known you since the beginning of time. Some of you have been having this conversation lately with God. You've heard this amazing gospel. You've heard these amazing things about being the graced, the blessed, the healed, the forgiven, the well provided for. And you've said, ah, but you don't know me, God, like I know me. You've known me as long as I have known me. You would never have asked me to do or to say the things you're asking me to do. If you knew me like I know me, God, wake up. He knows you. Wake up when he chose you. He already knew what he, was, what he was getting into. He already knew 40, 50, 60. He knew, he knew exactly what he was getting into. This morning, God answers you through the gospel and he says, I do ask you, I do call you, and I can call you to this holy life. I can give you this name, blameless before me, because I have never named you because of anything you have done, but because of my own purpose and grace. This grace that was given in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed to you through the gospel. To Gideon too, God said, my name for you is Mighty Warrior, because you're the man who's going to deliver my people from the Midianites. And Gideon said, well, God, if you only knew me like I knew me, then you'd have known that I'm the weakest in my family. And you'd have known that my family is the weakest of all families. Are you sure you're God? You should have known that. 
that's the point, you see. He takes the things that are not. It was so important that Gideon did not name himself after his works, that later in that episode, God reduced his army by 90%. Because God says, if I don't do that, I'm worried that you're actually going to name yourself after your own victory. You're going to say that you did it. Christian, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Never get the idea that you're a Christian by, you, by your own works, that you made yourself a Christian. You didn't make yourself a Christian. You're a Christian by the grace of God, by the gift of God. Praise God. That's the most joyous news in the world. Because if I'm a Christian by the grace of God, I don't have to try and keep myself a Christian. Praise God. The grace of God keeps me. This word keeps me. That's why I preach this word to myself as well as you. I'm preaching to myself this morning. I'm saying, come on, oh my soul. Come on, oh my soul. This is life itself. Man cannot live on bread alone or in cheeseburgers or hamburgers. Jotham tells me McDonald's now they have a grand burger. Not just a, not just a, not just a mega burger. What's it called again? The Grand Mac, <coughs> not just the Big Mac. Now you've got a Grand Mac. Well, the gospel, you know, you cannot live on this world, on the natural, but by the word of God. Wow. <laughs> You're just in the spirit. You just see things a different way. But if you can't start to see yourself a different way, how are you going to see the greatest reprobate in dairy in a different way? How are you ever going to speak? Who is ever going to speak over the cases in the city unless we carry and see ourselves by the grace of God? And see people by the grace of God. <coughs> and so it continues right the way through the Bible. God speaking to people as who he declares them to be by his mercy and grace. In the light of what Christ has done before time began. And we saw on Wednesday night when we looked at Elizabeth and Mary and Zacharias. That God puts people together to help them to see. You know, He knew how difficult it was for Elizabeth to receive that word. You're going to have a baby in your old age. He knew how difficult it was for Mary too. So he did a beautiful thing. He put them together. For months on end, those two women got away from everybody else and just were together and said, it's true, isn't it? Yes, it's true. Look. <laughs> You've got to get away from your family. Now, with the greatest respect, I don't, mean, I don't mean that you're to physically leave them. I mean you're to stop taking in who they say you are by the natural realm. You're to get with God's people to hear who you are in Christ Amen. and keep hearing and keep hearing and keep hearing. Because faith, the ability to see, the ability to speak from heaven comes by hearing. Comes by hearing. And that's what God's always done. He's always helped his people to make that journey. If you or I are struggling to receive a gospel that sets us free from self-righteousness, it may be because we spend so much of our time around people who simply do not see us as God sees us. They speak to the old man. They relate to the old man. They relate to the self-life. They do not relate to me and Christ. The Christ life. You and I cannot live the life of a Christian, a son of God, a born-again, set-apart, unto God, holy person. If we refuse the name God gives us, graced, blameless before me, but not because of anything you have done. Not because of anything you have done. You and I can't be allowed to name ourselves after our strength, after self-righteousness. That's why God refused 90% of Gideon's strength. Don't expect God to bless your self-righteousness. That's why he didn't bless Ishmael in the same way as Isaac. It may seem very humble to you and I to say to God, no, I won't accept 
righteousness as a gift, healing as a gift, that all good things come as a gift from above. I prefer to suffer. I prefer to sacrifice. I prefer to beat myself up about not being good enough. I'm sorry to disappoint you. That is not humility. That is stinking self-righteousness. That is pride, the Bible says. Grace flows to the humble, but water doesn't flow uphill. If you think that you're ever going to achieve a level of righteousness in your life through suffering, through harsh treatment of your body, through the sacrifices you make, whether it be going to church or praying or charitable works or being a martyr because a whole world has rejected you, you are deceived. God cannot agree with a lie. He cannot bless you living as a victim because he knows that's not who you are. That's not how he sees you. For since before time began, he has seen you in the light. He has seen you in the light of Christ's victory. He's seen you in the light of the cross and his purpose that you would be in Christ and Christ is not a victim. So what if the whole world has rejected you? So what if God has accepted you? Do you know how many people are sitting in abject discouragement and depression in this city this morning because of a spirit of rejection? Spirit of rejection. Here's the gospel. God never rejected you. God never rejected you. But people need to hear that. But they need to hear it spoken with authority. They need to hear it spoken by somebody who knows that they're not rejected. Who's set free from the opinion of man. That's called holy boldness. That's called holy boldness. You don't care anymore what people think or say because you know God is with you. Come on. And if he is with you, what does it matter? The whole world is against you. If God is with you. Now that you would not be an Ishmael, but that you would know, as Abraham cried to God, if only he would know that you are with them. An awareness that God is with you. Church, that's what we're being blessed with right now. An awareness through the gospel that God is with us. That awareness is changing us, and it's going to change this city. When you walk down this city as a person who's not alone, a person with God, you walk into any situation, <clears throat> it's God's walked in. You can speak with God. I said at the beginning of this year, God is not asking you to do one thing for him this year. He's asking you to do everything with him. With him. Old and New Testament, to everybody who struggled to receive this beautiful name, God said the same thing. Do not be afraid. For I am with you. With you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's with me. Now, let's close then. By looking at that verse, turn back to Matthew 20, and I look at the verse that God hit me with two weeks ago. And the owner of the vineyard walks in to the city square, and he walks in at the 11th hour, and he looks around, and you see Matthew there, 20, verse 6. It says, about the 11th hour, he went out, and he found others standing idle, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? I remember saying this before. The people left at the 11th hour. The only people left in the town center for hire when everybody else has been hired are the lame and the weak and the despised and the old and those who in the natural eyes, who through an evil eye, are not fit to enter into the kingdom. Those are the only people that's left at that time of day. And when the, the owner goes out, he literally, he's not lying. He says to them, why are you still standing here? Now they would say, are you blind? Look, I've got one leg here. 
Look, I'm 70 years old. Look, I can't really do very much work. But he doesn't see them that way. You see, God, when he looks at people, he sees them through what Christ has done. He sees that enough has been done for them to enter in. Christ on that cross did enough so that whosoever, whosoever who wants to can go in. That's called the good news. Whosoever. He actually really sees people that way. He really sees that because of the cross, there is now no barrier to people going in except unbelief. Except in not believing. What do we have to do to do the works of God? Only believe. Jesus said, only believe. But belief is smittle. They've got to be around people who believe. Isn't that right? Come on, that's us. They've just got to be around people to believe. God is lifting the church into a new level of believing. Come on now. Going to church hasn't changed you. The gospel changes you. The gospel changes you. That's what brings us into the light. In light of what God has done, you cannot be the same person when you see it. And God is opening our eyes to it. He's opening our eyes. Praise God. It's a beautiful thing. Can you see it? In their own eyes, those people in that square, the 11th hour, eyes apart from grace, eyes in the dark, evil eyes, striving, laboring to grasp, eyes, all they can see through those eyes are the reasons they're not fit to enter the kingdom. But in the eyes of the owner, in the eyes of God, all he sees is that they're all qualified because from before the beginning of time, grace was given for all who will receive his grace, his word, his son, to enter into his kingdom. The light that God always wanted us to see ourselves in is the light of his mercy and grace. So I need to finish by asking you a question. In the light of his own purpose and grace, this grace given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, what can you see? What can you see? What can you see in the light of what God has done through Christ? In the light of the truth, as stated in Colossians 1.22, that he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. In that light, what can you see? In light of the truth, as in 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was in Christ reconciling you to himself and is now no longer counting your sins against you. In that light, now what do you see about your week gone by? In light of the truth as stated in Hebrews 8 and 12, that God remembers your sins no more. In that light, can you see that the time you spent this week regretting what you hadn't done was a waste of time because God no longer sees those sins in that way. In light of the truth as stated in Colossians 3, 2 and 3, that you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God, can you just begin to see from a heavenly realm? Can you just begin to see, to set your mind in the heavenly realm not in the earthly realm, to see yourself as God sees you in Christ. If you can, then you're ready to understand that the owner in that story represents the Father. He represents coming out and looking at the lame and the weak and the old and the despised, all the effects of sin, all those left behind, because to the natural eye, the evil eye, they don't look fit for the kingdom. Can you now see that he wasn't looking at them through a natural eye, but through the eyes of Christ? Can you see in the light of the gospel, in the light of this truth, that he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, a grace given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Can you see what this gospel, this light, still has the power to do after 2,000 years? It can still open the eyes of men and women to see themselves as God sees them. Wow! 
Wow! When people see themselves, see what Christ has done, you can't be the same person. And that's because what Christ did on that cross for all men. Because of that, we can go to this city and we can look at people in the light of his grace and we can look at the last man in this city. The last man in this city. But the natural eye would say is fit for the kingdom of heaven. That is qualified for heaven. And we can say, what are you doing still standing idle at this late hour? Can you not see that in the light of what God has done for you, there is no reason why you cannot enter into his kingdom, for he has qualified you. For it is not lawful for him to do what he wants to do with his own things. Or is your eye evil because he is good? When it comes to the generosity of God, we keep making it about us and what we deserve. But from heaven's perspective, salvation has never been about our worthiness to receive. It has always been about God's willingness to give. So let the light of heaven, the light of the truth God sees by, open our eyes more and more to see as God sees. So we too, like the Apostle Paul, can say, from now on, we regard no man according to the flesh. Let's pray.